The Y Curve with Phil Dobby and Roger Hearing. It's the crisis that never went away and has now redoubled in bloodletting and chaos. And this time is different in scale and threat. Never before have so many Israelis been killed in one attack and never have the reprisals on Gaza been so heavy. Huge dilemmas for Israel and its supporters. How do you destroy Hamas without killing many more Palestinian civilians? How do you get the hostages back without doing a deal with your deadliest enemy? What do you do with Gaza the day after any ground offensive? And for the Arab nations, some of whom have been preparing an historic agreement to recognise Israel, which side are you on when the TV screens are full of Palestinian suffering? What do you say when your own people are cheering on Hamas? And what does the West do to stop things getting any worse? The Y curve. It is very difficult to understand this whole situation and how it uh, how it happens so quickly. I mean, it, it was all a surprise, wasn't well, it? it? Well, it wasn't. It wasn't. I mean, I, I have to say, I've worked in that neck of the woods quite a bit over the last uh, two, three decades, and I've never been surprised at the amount of anger because the, the, the way in which people inside the Gaza Strip live is extraordinary. It's an open air prison. It's the moment one of those densely populated places on Earth. They have no prospect of leaving. Young people have no prospect of, of any kind, really. Mm. And you can understand where the anger comes from. But what surprised me was the way in which it was carried out because the organization uh, behind well, it you mean? partly the organization yes they're not the best organized uh, group in the world for sure but equally the brutality the sadism the extraordinary violence mm. which which you know you see from isis but 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 hamas are not isis I, yeah. i've interviewed them many occasions i believe me i don't sympathize with them but but they are not idiots they're not they're not sadists well and yet you know that level of brutality mm. was never going to win support no. um, and so you wonder why would you do it because it's about I, I wonder if it was a mistake i wonder if they if, if they let these guys out they, they got on with it they all fell apart too easily and they mm. got they can't carry it away not that's an excuse no no excuse so the question all. is where does it all go from here and and you know and how how it is dividing not just that region mm. but the world i mean yeah. I, I, I i know nothing about this part of the world really and so it's very hard for me to form an opinion but that's not stopped most people siding, taking one side or the other. And, of course, whatever you say gets uh, attacked from either side or possibly both. I mean, we all know Netanyahu is not the, you know, a pacifist by any stretch of the imagination, and the world would be a better place if they'd chosen somebody else, perhaps. Uh, I think Uh, a lot of Israelis feel that too, not least in the light of what's happened. Yeah. But anyway, let's talk to someone who really does know it very, very well, and that's Michele Groppi. He's lecturer in Challenges to the International Order in the Defence Studies Department at King's College London. He joins us now. So, Michele, how did this happen? How was it such a big surprise uh, for the IDF? But also, I mean, there must have been people in Gaza who would have known about this as well, and yet seemingly it came out of nowhere. Or even even people like the British and the Americans who presumably monitor this area, satellite monitoring. I mean, how did it happen without anyone guessing? Ah, look, this is a very good question because we actually, you know, we we did ask our, ourselves exactly the very same question. How did this happen? How is this possible? So we actually have to take a number of steps back. Everything started probably at least two years ago um, through a cyber campaign. Uh, and the cyber campaign itself actually dates back at least a decade but two years ago, it's probably where Hamas got very important bits of information, very important ones. They have managed to hack a number of IDF soldiers' accounts through fake, other fake accounts with promises of pornographic content, 
um, infiltrating uh, their phones through fake uh, sports apps. And look, living in Israel myself, you know, I can share actually a number of anecdotes when it comes to that. Um, I was about to buy something, and even my professor, right? So at the university said, ah, why are you buying it? I'm sure that you can find someone who's going to um, give your passwords. So making a sweeping generalization, Israelis don't like to buy things, or at least like if they, if they cannot. <laughs> um, uh, if they so they leave them. So they leave yeah. themselves open. That, and so that becomes the door through which Hamas managed to enter to get access to what? So military data you're talking oh, about? Yes. The location? Oh, yes. the location absolutely. Of, absolutely. In right. southern Israel, we have evidence mm. right now, right? Right, so the, the Atlantic actually wrote uh, uh, a piece a little bit less than one year ago, flagging this and say, well, "Look, gotta be careful because terrorism is rapidly evolving. They have hacked through malicious malwares uh, using cells um, devices, right? So malwares that could not be detected, right?" Um, and they have managed to acquire sensitive information as for a number of military bases. Uh, spread across southern Israel. So even though it it is way too early right now to say to say with absolute certainty that they have used those bits of information to mount the attack, it is very plausible. So, so just to be absolutely clear about this, Michaela, what you're saying is that they've hacked into bits of information they could get, which meant that on when they attacked on that Saturday morning, they knew what they were facing and how to get around it, essentially. Essentially, essentially they have filmed, yes, uh, military vehicles, uh, tanks, uh, and most importantly, the inside of a number of military bases, right? Or at least, like, this is what the evidence right now points towards to, right? So, and this happened at least two years ago. Now, they recreated on top of that, and that's the very strange bit, Right, so um, Phil and Roger, right? So this very strange bit, they have recreated a number of kibbutzim, right? So, or at least something that resembled the type of operational environment that they would be facing. How is it that Israeli authorities, spies, let us remember, we're not talking about a huge territory. And even my friends, right, so who work in the IDF, they say this to me all the time. We have, or actually they pride themselves as to having a very good intelligence inside the Gaza Strip. How on earth, right, so I am asking, mm. why didn't they see it? Right. Well, Everyone how many wants- how many people how many people are there in Hamas? How many people would have been involved in this operation, and how did they manage to do it without other people uh, knowing about it? Uh, you know, within the Gaza Strip. I mean, they've all got families. Presumably, they've oh, got yeah. friends. Oh, people yeah. talk. How how come not a word well, got out on okay, this? Okay, so um, as far as I know right now, so given everything that I have uh, read, uh, um, given all my contacts also in Israel and the Israeli intelligence community, when all of this is going to be over with, we don't know how, we don't know when, but a number of people are getting fired, are getting sacked, right? So because they, they didn't connect the dots, something was going on. There was some talk that they were uh, doing some exercises, but the attention has been diverted to the kind of, quote, humanitarian and social work that Hamas has been doing, 
In the past months, Hamas has managed to deceive Israel uh, through a number of social activities. Israel has allowed for a number of permits for um, for people, right? So from the Gaza Strip to be working in Israel. And given the dire economic situation that um, uh, unfortunately affects, impacts so many people in the Gaza Strip, Hamas seemingly has been more worried to um, um, about uh, these sorts of needs as opposed to uh, the big planning of military operations. They were doing something, but the Israelis didn't really uh, give attention to it, which brings me to my second point. What was happening or what has been happening inside Israel and why the Hamas and its partners got the timing so perfectly. So in addition to you know, uh, symbols uh, and recurrences that really, really matter, right? So 50 years uh, after Yom Kippur. But in addition to that, they have uh, they have carried out, executed these attacks at a time of unprecedented internal domestic division within Israel. If you remember, on the 7th, that night, the, the, the Israeli public was all concentrated uh, on uh, the nth protest, a uh, protest, a demonstration against Netanyahu and its government, right? So which, let us remember, let us remind this, it is uh, the furthest rightist coalition in Israeli history, causing so much societal friction. Uh, the, ju- the judicial reforms have been accused of mining the very own democratic fabric of Israeli society and pitting, um, like, pitting pretty much uh, um, the intelligence community or members of the intelligence community, the Mossad even, and the armed forces against each other. Right? Uh, so let, let me just put, put in there, Michele, for people who don't know, yes. this was a case where the Supreme Court and its uh, its abilities and its rights were being challenged by a rightist government, so you can't undermine our decisions, and this has been going through, and there have been a lot of protests, as you say. And one of the interesting things was that reservists, Israeli reservists, some of them, said they would not serve if this had gone through. Yeah. But but this was all theory. I mean, in, in practice, the army and everything else was working as normal, wasn't it? Yes. So, uh, but I believe that as we have seen something like this, and uh, again, please, like, um, uh, listeners, please, like, take my words with a grain of salt, right? So because we do not want to end up, or I do not want to end up um, comparing apples and oranges. But there are a pretty fair amount of similarities with 9-11. Right. If we read the 9-11 Commission report, we can already see the sort of intra-rivalry um, which was going on between the CIA and uh, uh, the FBI. We can we can draw parallels with with what has been happening in Israel. Yes, the army was functioning at least on paper, kind of as normal. Yes, Shin Bet, the Mossad, were still functioning as normal, but they would not be sharing as much information. They would so everything would get so politicized that we have never seen in Israeli history. Right, so very big important figures of the Mossad going against the government and creating incredible friction. What I suspect happened, and uh, you know, like from an anecdotal perspective, I'm sure that we we will be studying this and uh, uh, more pieces of evidence will come up. But uh, you know, they started hating each other's guts and they started withdrawing um, and with and withholding. Um, certain bits of very critical information because attention was elsewhere, 
right? And communication here and uh, um, unity of effort is key, is pivotal. And the Israelis evidently didn't have it. So, so, it's, so they've really used the opportunity, is what you're saying, that this has been years in the planning, it seemed, and the timing was precise because of the uh, the conditions internally within the country, but also they'd acquired all of this information uh, by obviously getting more more ability to um, to use online to try and hack into computers and and gather intelligence. So that's years in the planning. So why? Because if they did this, they must be clear. So if they were concerned that they've got a right wing government in Netanyahu. I mean, uh, no one in Israel is going to be too, too concerned about having a right-wing government now, are they? they they're going to be thinking the more defence, the better. Uh, if we have to lose some of our our privileges, that's fine, so long as it keeps us safe. This is a gift to Netanyahu, isn't it? In a very twisted way, um, and by twisted, I'm not saying your uh, your question, obviously, something that we, which is good, but in a very uh, twisted and paradoxic way, yes, yes. Hamas. Which is not what. Which is so. What do they? What were they hoping to gain in that case? Because oh, yeah. they've used all of this intelligence, they can't use it again. So it's actually very interesting and very puzzling. I myself have been uh, asking. So my gut feeling is that Hamas uh, should be very careful, right? So for what they wish for, because um, just like uh, and look here, we're not talking about terrorism um, or uh, you know like other forms of violence, but just like any actors, right? So. Uh, our democracy, autocracies, or non-state actors, uh, the main goal at the end of the day is survival. Hamas has been facing uh, increasing uh, um, tension, let's put it this way, inside its own borders uh, on allegations of uh, corruption, on allegations of uh, um, doing uh, what was best for them as opposed to uh, the, the greater right, so Palestinian community. And the, and all this has resulted in weeks and weeks and weeks of protests. So for Hamas, this was a, a pretty good opportunity to silence internal support, to score some pretty good points vis-a-vis the, their political arch enemies, which is the Palestinian Authority, right? So the National Authority Fatah in the West Bank, which has been pretty much cracking on or, or like wailing on, apologies like for my French, but uh, on political dissenters, so namely Hamas, right? Nevertheless, well, I, I was just I was just going to inject, inject uh, Michelle. I mean, I, I know Hamas reasonably well myself. I've, I've worked a lot in Gaza. I've I've met them. Yeah. I've interviewed them. What is curious, I, I take on board what you say, that they needed to deal with internal opposition. But the, what actually happened was some people compared it to ISIS in terms of the brutality, the sadism that was shown, the amount of bloodletting that went on. And I get that they might go in to get hostages because you can see the advantage of doing that. They can get prisoner releases as a result. But what is the purpose? Was it even their intention to do this kind of ISIS-style activity, which puts them outside the pale uh, as far as most Arab countries are concerned, let alone the rest of the world? And as I say, I've met them. They are fanatics, certainly, but they're not. They're not mad and they're not idiots. That that was exactly uh, Roger. This is such a good point, right? So that was exactly what I wanted to uh, to actually expand upon, right? So they so they they probably got way more than expected, right? And it probably just spiraled out of control. Let us remember, Hamas is no monolith, right? So you have 
different voices, you have different groups, there's the Palestinian Islamic Jihad, not every person is the same. And given that Israel was so caught off guard, so unprepared, and sometimes they, at a certain point, they, I'm obviously not justifying it, but they, they committed such a strategic mistake just by taking, so had they taken just the soldiers, you know, it would have been, quote, perfect, right? So because they could have seriously, like, gone to the table with Israel and say, Think twice, right? So because now we can uh, exchange prisoners and something like this, uh, and the world is still, or at least part of the world, is still going to see this as a very legitimate act of resistance. But by taking so many uh, people who who had nothing to do with that, toddlers, an 85-year-old Holocaust survivor, like and something like this, in, in my gut feeling, and I absolutely agree with you, they're not idiots, but they right. didn't have good, but they didn't have control so they've they've got testosterone led men on a spree yes. who who yes. didn't have clearly didn't have any boundary and absolutely no boundaries as you say old people young people i don't know whether and, and brutality in a way that just seemed completely headings if you know yeah. however how much of that is true uh, i mean that is so may not have been planned but that is who they are that is the people who have, well these are the, the, the shabab as they call them the young men who, who have you know grown up entirely in conditions of utter misery it's not a justification but maybe there's a sense of they know where no the boundaries. anger comes from yeah where it's anger and boundaries yeah. i mm. guess yeah look 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 if we go back to their covenant, they actually put in practice what they had been preaching for a number of years. But yet, yet, I absolutely second the thing that in general, right? So we're not the only ones doing strategy. Uh, terrorists and non-state actors uh, do strategy as well, right? And therefore, they're, they're not stupid. We have to respect them um, in this sense, like from an operational perspective. Uh, my gut feeling is that uh, this was a mistake I don't believe that they wanted like just to do this or at least like within this capacity because right now they will um, and and I say this with a very heavy heart right so both for um, like the Israelis and as much as for the population of Gaza right so which is going to, who's going to be the biggest victim like here like visibly uh, in uh, it already is right but they're going to unleash the ferocity the ferocity of the IDF, and going back to our initial point, uh, making a huge favor to Netanyahu. Um, eventually, people are going to pay in Israel. People are going to get sacked, uh, and this is going to be, the, the, it already is, right? So uh, arguably the biggest debacle in Israeli history, and uh, the Israeli public will want uh, their heads uh, on a civil platter. Right? So but is, this it, is, is, uh, is it still going on? Are those mistakes still going on? So most people who... Um, were very supportive of Israel, are aghast at the response, at the fact that, you know, food and water is being deprived, that people are, you know, million, you know, well over a million people are, uh, have been forced to flee their homes. You know, God knows how many people are going to die at the end of, of all of this, uh, just as a consequence of dying of uh, malnutrition. So the world is going to look badly at that. So is Netanyahu making a similar big mistake? It's a, it's a tragedy, uh, feeling Roger. So no matter how we look at this, right? So everybody loses. Uh, and there's no way out, right? So in, uh, in, uh, in a way or the other. To answer your question, I do believe so. But at the same time, again, heavily, having lived in Israel, having studied over there, we, we have to take a number of uh, 
uh, important uh, cons uh, considerations into account to understand why they want to do this, not just define it, but at least understand it. Have you ever heard of siege mentality? It's something very recurrent in Israeli strategic thinking. Um, paraphrase brutally, everybody's against us. Even our friends, our friends today will be tomorrow's enemies. We cannot trust anyone because our history shows so. Hence, nobody right now is in a position to teach us anything about morality. We have to take action. Inaction is politically uh, not palatable. We have to do something. And uh, given that uh, the killing has been so indiscriminate and so brutal, and as you were saying, like ISIS uh, style, like type of thing, uh, it brings up incredible painful memories from the Holocaust, from, from those days in which we felt um, impotent, in which we felt powerless, we couldn't do anything about it, and we just took it, never again, right? And uh, uh, and therefore, you know, like something like this uh, is going to motivate and fuel a lot of anger. But, but, but Michele, we've already said that, 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 that Hamas are not idiots. They... Uh, behave in a relatively, in inverted commas, rational manner. And clearly the Israelis too, however horrified they are and whatever this siege mentality are also not idiots. There is thinking going on here. They have a ground invasion prepared. We know that. Yes. If I was there when they left in 2005, when they left from Gaza, with great relief mostly that they were out of there, um, with horrible consequences, of course. But if, what is, happens if they roll in, if they go in with a ground offensive, what do they do the day after? Who runs Gaza? What happens next? This is another great question. And in fact, this is probably their biggest mistake, right? So, or, or at least like they're, you know, it's the biggest variable, right? So that, that, that famous X, right? So inside the equation that we don't know how to solve. I don't believe they have an idea because what are they going to do? Are they going to reoccupy the whole area again? Are they going to give it? So, and um, I was reading uh, um, a number of bits, like just to give it back, just to give it to uh, the Arab League uh, or like the Egyptians or maybe the Saudis. Uh, the Saudis, but, I heard, certainly was a possibility. But, but, but I don't think that is going to happen, right? So, in addition to the unbearable human cost, right? So, um, the the IDF is going to lose so many people. the The population in Gaza is going to die, right? So, and uh, and we know this, uh, and certainly not giving them food and water and electricity is definitely not, uh, I mean, so the answer, uh, displacement of people will create another generation of uh, refugees, uh, anger people, uh, and eventually, if anything, uh, what we call terrorists. So in the long term, this is detrimental on all sides. Well, yeah, I mean, that's the question, isn't it? it even though Hamas has done a, a untold damage, not just to the Israeli people, obviously uh, to the people of Gaza as well, but uh, is this is this now just a recruitment campaign for Hamas? You know, there are people oh, yeah. saying, well, oh, look yeah. what they are doing oh, yeah. to us. Of course, they're going to market this. Yeah. They're going to market it. This is a, this is a, a reverse gift to, to Hamas, right? So because eventually, so let's say that everything, quote, goes well, and Israel takes them out. But it's not going to end. It's not going to end. It's just not going to end, right? And it's so not just it's, recruitment in Gaza. There will be many millions of Arabs looking at their TV screens, uh, their computer the screens. Exactly. And they will be, be rallying to the flag as well. Oh, yeah, around the world, around the world. We're going to be seeing uh, our terrorism mounting uh, everywhere. We, have, uh, we are already seeing this uh, in, in Europe. Uh, it, also, it, it is also fair to say that terrorism has never gone away. 
right? So this, what I have been saying, right? So for uh, for a number of months, not because I'm a, uh, I'm a terrorism uh, uh, scholar, but just because the evidence would just out there and say, be very careful because when the public eye is on something else, terrorism regroups, right? And um, uh, and they try to advance and not just uh, in the Gaza Strip, but uh, literally all over the world. But something like this will be an amplifier. It will just maximize over and over and over. Right? So waves of new, disenfranchised, angry people uh, who are going to become potentially a big security issue I'm not going to say everywhere, but in many parts of the well, world. Well, yeah, in most parts of the world, really, isn't it? Because you think about the the influence of social media and just the amount of the amplified messages and, and misinformation. Yeah. So, take the hospital, for example. I mean, we've we've got. I mean, who knows what happened there? But we went from, you know, Israel has uh, has killed 500 people with a missile strike to no, it was a Hamas missile. Well, Islamic that, Jihad that, is the yeah, yeah, that didn't that you know that, that misfired to well, it only hit the car park and it didn't really kill that many people after all i mean who, i mean you know well we, we won't know nobody will know for a long, but long I mean, time for all of these i mean every day we're going to get stories like this mm. and who and who do you believe and in, how do you even analyze all the, it? all the time and also let us remember that this is tactics right and uh, it's not about being good or bad this is just tactics right so let's say that israel did it right uh it's paramount to accuse hamas because it has happened in the past if hamas did it it is absolutely paramount to blame it on the israelis and blow the numbers are proportion yeah. right it's a game yeah true truth and, is not the key for them at the moment of course of course it's not and especially because and, and look i don't have uh, uh, data on it but the theory goes Right, so even in uh, anthropological studies and sociological studies, the people believe what they want to believe. Yeah. So does that mean that we are basically around the world now divided? I mean, I, I have to say, I, I'm, I, I'm one of the few people who I, I don't know enough about it to actually form a side. I'm not uh, Arab. I'm not. Uh, I'm not Jewish. I don't know the part of the world. It doesn't reflect my life in any way. And yet, lots of people in my situation have chosen a side on all of this, which I, I do find a bit curious. And then, you know, we have, uh, so so the world is divided on it. And then we have Joe Biden arriving. Mm. And I, as far as I can see, fueling more unrest because there he is, you know, slurring support for, after his, with jet lags, <laughs> slurring his support for Israel, unconditional support, uh, when we don't know all of the facts. So the world is picking sides on this and the idea that we you know perhaps over the last decade or so things have become a little bit more nuanced um, that's gone out of the window has gone out of the window and but, will we ever see it back again but the other point on this michele which which plays into that is the extent to which this is a widening conflict because we know that iran some people see the hand of iran behind the whole thing certainly people are worried that they will influence hezbollah to open a, a northern attack on out of lebanon onto israel i mean what are the risks of this going wider for exactly the reason that phil was saying and, and could israel cope with that so um i think very much phil uh, and uh, roger for these comments so i'll go back to you phil emotions matter symbols matters words matters uh matter and therefore we cannot have a discussion devoid of the emotional essence of this and that's why people in every part of the world even if we don't know the even, even if we don't know the old facts even if look between us what is so is this conflict going to affect our lives concretely well not more so 
than COVID or uh, any other things. But the emotional nature of it, right? So is for a number of reasons which span from uh, or range from religion to um, our very core political convictions do matter. And therefore, we're going to be seeing more probably of this division and polarization, which going back to Roger's point, uh, what is the risk here? The risk here has uh, a pretty clear name, and the latter is escalation, regional escalation. Um, I have written that uh, um, also in, in a bizarre way, Hezbollah has also been losing grip in the uh, southern part of Lebanon especially since the 2020 uh, Beirut port blast, in which apparently um, the party of God has uh, uh, made sure that uh, authorities would not be able to look too much uh, into that and have uh, tried... This was a huge explosion in the port area of uh, of Beirut. Very good, yes. And so once again... Uh, growing segments of the Lebanese societies have been uh, uh, contesting this. Uh, and so something like this, once again, could divert attention from uh, uh, very delicate uh, uh, internal uh, equilibria towards uh, the common enemy, right? So which uh, is Israel. Iran, who has been uh, probably the strongest supporter of Hamas, at least in the last 10 years, uh, on one level, on one very, once again, mark my words, in a twisted way, would want uh, an escalation for kind of the same reasons. Uh, Domestic support has been at an all-time low, really, in the country, with most of its population under 30 contesting Uh, protesting against uh, the regime, wanting uh, uh, more uh, uh, fair treatment, more equality, and uh, and so on and so forth. However, however, um, we also have to be very very wary because I can absolutely see Iran uh, supporting uh, Hezbollah opening a northern front, which would be highly problematic for Israel, but being very careful and not to be uh, directly involved in uh, uh, the military confrontation. And that's, at least on paper, what they said, even uh, at the United Nations very recently. right? So we salute the, the Operation Alexa Flood. We applaud the this act, uh, I'm obviously quoting them, of self-defense uh, and something like this, but we had nothing to do with that. So, right? so they were pretty uh, quick at saying something like this. And so I don't see them uh, uh, taking an active part in this, but definitely, definitely uh, supporting Syria, definitely supporting Hezbollah, and keep supporting uh, as, much, as much as they can. Uh, um- but but if, if Hezbollah did open up this northern front, uh, the fact the U.S. has moved to, to uh, carrier uh, groups into the area, it's pretty clear, I would think, that there's a danger of the U.S. forces being involved in supporting Israel against Hezbollah then Iran might find itself in Syria, perhaps also in a very difficult position. Yeah, so it's actually very interesting because here we're playing a, we are playing a very dangerous game. I believe that the Biden administration is signaling to Iran something like, don't you think about this because we are here in the area and we're ready to strike. And so I believe for now, and I underline for now, this may have more of a, of a deterrent scope, but we never know. So because should Hezbollah 
start uh, uh, activities, right? So just start hostilities uh, and should Israel uh, retaliate uh, as usual, right? So with, uh, you know, significant force, a disproportionate force uh, to reinstate uh, the deterrence cycle, their deterrence or their vision of the deterrence cycle, uh, um, the risk is pretty clear, right? So the risk is not marginal, right? So of a much bigger escalation. And it is yet to be seen if Israel is going to uh, be able to sustain uh, multiple fronts. That's going to be a challenge. So that's why the Americans are in. Uh, but, you know, it's all it's all to be seen. And uh, uh, it's very dangerous. I'm not looking uh, for this, like, to be very true. Meanwhile... I mean, I find it hard to believe that Hamas managed to pull this off, that there wasn't knowledge of where Hamas is based. You'd assume in this day and age with satellite images, etc., and the amount of money that's uh, pushed into Israeli military, there would be a fairly close understanding of who's doing what and where. Uh, and yet, the way of approaching it seems to be this, uh, you talked about a siege mentality, well, it's also a blockade mentality, isn't it? And you know how that contravenes the laws of war. It's a it's a sledgehammer approach, which you can't help feeling is a, a chunk of it is not just going after Hamas. This is retaliation. Um, so I just wonder how long we sit back and let that happen, because I mean, as every day goes by, there's less water, and more people are going to die, and I don't think the world as a whole is going, irrespective of who's doing it, the world is going to accept that. I, as I was saying before, I believe that right now every single thing that Israel does is wrong in the sense that um, I don't really see a solution. So I'm not championing, as I said before, I don't think that cutting the water and the electricity um, is, is a good thing, right? So we cannot in good consciousness. Uh, and I, 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 I am a friend of Jews. Uh, I, I, I love Israel. I live there. I study there. I work with Israelis, uh, but I'm firmly opposed to, to something like this. We should not be public. We, we should not be retaliating uh, against uh, the good people uh, of uh, Gaza or, or just like the way Hamas uh, and their partners uh, have targeted, uh, um, you know, so people at the festival, or or uh, um, or the people who were in their homes, uh, children, toddlers, and something like this. So we cannot, uh, like, in good consciousness, uh, right? So just do something very, 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 very similar. Indeed, right? indeed. Michaela, let me let me finally, as because we're drawing to the end of this. I mean, it, it's a subject that we could talk about forever. But let me ask you, and it's a horrible, difficult question. What do you think will be the outcome of this? Where will we be in two, three weeks' time? Is there any way, any picture you can get? Yeah, yeah, no, it is, um, it is a very difficult question, but one which I actually tremendously appreciate because uh, I'm going to be very honest with you, uh, Roger and Phil, I have trouble uh, um, sleeping at night, right? So because I'm so emotionally involved, I have, I, um, I've lived in both places. Well, so I'm not in Gaza, but did live in the Palestinian territories. Uh, I have friends from both sides, uh, um, more obviously uh, on the Israeli side, because that's where I studied, uh, that's where I live, but a number of them are in the fronts and I know I'm not gonna see them again. So um, I think this is gonna be bad, right? So um, I don't think it's gonna end well. So if Israel goes in and then wins, this is going to be at the cost of thousands and thousands and thousands of lives, um, at the cost of destroying uh, 
maybe a fragile, but still a society, right? So which is the Gazan one, right? And scarring the region forever, really. So this is a point of no return. Um, but nevertheless, so I don't think that Israel would just go in and do what they did in the past, right? So because the, the cycle, the famous Israeli cycle deterrence, right? So you attack, so there, um, again, I'm paraphrasing that, right? So, but there cannot be peace because people hate us anyway, right? So we're just gonna go in, uh, hit them as hard as possible, uh, postponing uh, the, the next time in which they are going to uh, strike again. This is not possible anymore, mm. right? It's broken, so that, the classical uh, cycle deterrence has been broken. So this time they go in, they go in to finish the job. But this, uh, for one, is not going to be easy because Hamas is going to dug in. We we know, as a matter of fact, that there are dozens and dozens and dozens of tunnels, right? And by the way, tunnels are expensive, right? By so finishing the job, you mean finish the job against Hamas or do you mean yes. finish the job against yes. Gaza? Yes. No. No, 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 no. Um, apologies for that. So uh, I mean just getting rid of Hamas, Right, so like from a major perspective, but however, which then brings us to the point that we were making before. Let's say that this happens at the cost of um, unspeakable inhumanity, you know, right? So uh, and uh, you know, being prepared, right? So for uh, uh, all sorts of uh, uh, collateral damage, uh, uh, torture of people, uh, uh, you know, just humanity at uh, at its lowest. Uh, so really, and then, and then, what's going to happen? I don't think they have a plan. Yeah. And so... Because Hamas, you know, so Hamas 2.0 will emerge somewhere, or, won't or, or some other variant, yeah. So, is- so how... And why haven't they done it yet? Are they just getting their ducks in a row? Why are they... Why are the Israelis right still now? waiting? So I believe... And uh, and look, uh, thank God they still haven't done it, right? So, But I believe... So the, there are a number of reasons. Uh the first one, just because the Americans uh, are holding uh, are holding them off, right? So it's pretty visible, right? So and uh, even though Biden has been very vocal uh, about his support uh, uh, and something like this, but the Americans are the first ones who are afraid of um, a regional escalation. Well, he, I mean, Biden did make that point, didn't he? Uh, that uh, they made mistakes themselves in their response to 9-11. So clearly he was yes. he was trying to say, right. don't do what we did. Exactly. And then rhetoric on, uh, on the American side. So in Washington, rhetoric and narrative is one thing. Reality may be a completely different matter. Yeah. We, even in continental Europe, Right. So even uh, governments uh, like the Italian ones, like for instance, uh, are starting to grow very worried as for the war in Ukraine. We don't have infinite resources. People don't like uh, what uh, has been doing. And even if uh, the majority of the, um, of the Europeans, right, so, so including the Brits, have been uh, uh, very you know, supportive of Ukraine, it is becoming increasingly visible that we need a political solution to the conflict. So we cannot just keep sending weapons and weapons and weapons over and over and over, and we are not seeing the light. So the Americans know this. Once again, they're not stupid either. And therefore, opening another front, having to give weapons to Israel, to the Ukrainians, uh, uh, convincing NATO this is good, right? So in Europe, convincing the world this is good, in the Middle East, whilst keeping an eye on as for AUKUS and the Indo-Pacific and the Arctic and the militarization of space, in the long run, this is madness. You can't you can't have a war on that many fronts. I think mm. is the answer. Right, right. So, and uh, even if it is America, 
Yeah. The resources are limited as well. Well, that... And the election is coming up. Indeed, yeah. that's, and the technology is getting greater. So, I mean, that's, you know, how much were drones yeah. used, for example, to make yeah. all of this possible? It's, which all, is... it's a very, it's immensely complicated, multi-front, multifaceted situation. But, Michele, thank you so much for taking us through it. And Fascinating, depressing. Michele. Yeah. Um, and as you say, who knows what will come at the end of this. But um, thanks for giving us a bit of an insight into what the possibilities are. Thank you. Thank you very much, Phil. Thank you very much, Roger, for having me. Uh, it was a pleasure. And let's just, you know, let's just pray that, uh, you know, that in a way or the other, that things are not going to unfold as badly uh, as we think. But, you know, uh, to be very honest with you, I think the worst is yet to come. Like, it's not going to end well. Like, this is really, really what I fear. Well, let's hope you're wrong. Yeah, a very grim assessment there. Bleak, I would say, as well, but probably mm. realistic. Um, awful to contemplate. Yeah. And the fact that we've, you know, so many people have uh, taken sides on this, mm. and it's, you know, it's not just religion, is it? There mm. is hate. Mm. And some of that hate is, and we've talked about it, is because people have been held down. So the people in Gaza have been in this awkward situation. But we've not, not just in this part of the world, but other parts of the world, we're quick to form judgments on yeah. people based on who they are. Yes. It's part, of, it's part of the social media universe. You have to have an opinion on everything. And but it's also racism, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, well, yes, there's elements. And, 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 and how does that come about? Why mm. do we hate certain types of people? Well, you know, people not who are all different. of us do. Why do we hate? Well, exactly, it is. Why do we hate people who are different? Well, that's something uh, we're going to look at, isn't it? Yeah, next week. Where does racism come from? How do we stop it? There's a mm. question. If we can solve that, maybe we can solve every other problem in the world. But it is a bit bizarre because the kids aren't racist, we're told. Well... Some are, I suspect, probably well, I mean, because of their parents. Probably because of their parents, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But I, I don't think we're from? born racist. So let's, let's, let's talk look at the psychology of it all. The psychology and the science of racism and possible ways of avoiding it. That's all coming up next week on The Why Kev. Thanks for listening. Bye. The Why Kev.